Blog Talk Radio. You want to reply the point? Okay. Mr. Mavrinka wants to reply the point. 15 on. Play the point. Today is March 28, 2017. Pete Z. of Tennis Acumen, joined as always by Jared Pine of A Second Serp. Good evening, Jared. Good evening, Pete. Yep, and we're in the middle of Miami, and as our intro uh, had Carlos Bernardis voice over with asking Stan if he wants to replay the point, I think Stan Varenka would uh, like to replay the third set today against Alexander Zverev. He was up a set against the young German. And Alexander Zverev comes from two sets. It comes from a set down and wins the next two sets to oust the number one seed, Stan Varenka. Jared, your thoughts on Zverev? Is this uh, uh, really the beginning of something good in his young career? Yeah, well, th- this has been a long time coming in terms of he's had lots of good results, and we knew he was capable of this. And, um, you know, it's, it's really not the first time he's done this. The ATP World Tour website, the title says that he stunned Vavrinka. Well, I picked him to win this in my bracket. I had Zverev going all the, all the way to the semifinals. Um, we'll see if he can get past Kyrgios. I said that he would. Um, we'll see what happens. But obviously Zverev is just loaded with talent. We've been talking about it for a few years now. And he's had some wins to back that up. This one might be the biggest, though. Um, to beat Vavrinka, the number one seed at a Masters 1000, to reach the quarterfinals, that's a huge result for him. And uh, let's see how far he can ride this wave. Yeah, good point. And uh, he will play the winner of Nick Kyrgios, David Goffin. Kyrgios up a set at this point in time. And uh, those two just played not too long ago as well. And we'll talk a little bit about Nick Kyrgios going forward. But uh, a couple shows ago, we talked about the 20 under 20, the uh, ATP Young Guns. Alexander Zverev has been in pole position for some time now, and absolutely a big win for him over Stan, and uh, would be extremely intriguing if he plays Kyrgios. Good match if he plays Gofan as well, but uh, I think everybody uh, would really like to see uh, an Alexander Zverev and Nick Kyrgios rematch. And, Jared, uh, we're going to go to the hottest player on tour, arguably, right now, Roger Federer, who continues to rack up the wins. Uh, Nice win for him over Juan Martin Del Potro. Uh, From what I've been told, Del Potro played exceptionally well in that match, but managed just five games against Roger Federer. And Fed won in a couple tiebreakers today, and he's going to face Burdich next. But um, let's talk right now about Roger Federer and his continued excellent form on tour yeah it really is excellent form he's had to go through some tough opponents he opened up with Tiafa, who obviously took him to a first set tiebreaker it was a very tight match Tiafa, an extremely talented player it's really fun to see uh one of these guys is considered to be the future of tennis playing against the greatest of all time and then uh, a, a rematch of that classic 2009 u.s open and today as you mentioned he beats bautista agu who was hitting the ball really cleanly. I saw some highlights from that match. Bautista Agu, I mean, he must have been seeing the ball like a beach ball. Still better able to come through in those tiebreakers. And I think that's part of what's always made Federer so good is he plays well in those big moments, wins the tiebreakers, and he's through now to the quarterfinals. 
Yeah, some people were making a deal about it, Fed playing back-to-back days, but uh, come on. I mean, he's been winning in straight sets, and uh, uh, again, maybe a little bit uh, of an exception there. Uh, Fed has been playing a lot of tennis, obviously didn't play at all the back end of 2016, but even though he's 35, going to be 36 in August, he takes care of his body, doing very well, and um, Jared, he's going to face Tomas Burdich next. Uh, Burdich has uh, played exceptionally well against Federer, but we've not, not really seen that for about four or five years. Federer's won the last six in their meetings, but um, I'm going to give Burdich a chance here. Uh, I, I really think he's going to play well. Uh, he really hasn't played well for quite a while, but uh, I just uh, I think he's going to be up for the task this time. I'm going to give Burdich a set. Almost want to pick him in this match, but uh, my overall pick for Miami was Fed over Nadal uh, in the final. Uh, I've got to have Fed winning this match uh, to get that going, but I wouldn't be surprised if Tomas Burdich takes Roger Federer out. Again, I, I will give him a set. How do you see this one? Yeah, a lot of people analyze Burdich as someone that beats all the players he's supposed to, but just can't get past the big four. Well, that hasn't necessarily been true. I think he won his first three meetings that he played against Nadal. He's had some scattered success against Djokovic, has done really well throughout his career against Federer, always playing him tight. I mean, even look at the 2012 Madrid final, an extremely tight match that he could have won. And then uh, he's had some success against Murray as well. So he can beat these top guys. Um, He's certainly more than capable. And, uh, you know, why not this week? He's playing some great tennis. So uh, I I could definitely see that being in the cards. Yep. And uh, obviously Federer, if he wants to make good on uh, Indian Wells' Miami double that he's not done in in quite some time, that would be another another concern. Another Indian Wells Miami double after Djokovic has done this the last three years. So, uh, and again, a possibility of yet another Big Four winning a Masters 1000. But obviously, we've got a long way to go before we get there. And um, going to switch gears a little bit now. Jack Sock, fourth consecutive Masters 1000 quarterfinal or better. He, he did get a semi, obviously, in Indian Wells as well. I really didn't see this coming. Uh, I'm I'm very surprised uh, that Jack Sock continues to play this well and. You know, I was talking with Barry Buss last week, and uh, I asked him about Sock and does his doubles really uh, help with respect to his singles? And I expected the answer to be yes, but uh, Barry had made he elaborated on Sock being possibly having the finest hands in the doubles game at this point in time. That has got to bode well for him in his uh, singles career going forward. But I was really surprised at the high compliment Barry Buss played. Uh, paid Jack Sock, and uh, your thoughts right now, Jared, on what is working for Jack Sock. Obviously, uh, he isn't quite kicking down the door against the top guys of the ATP, but he's making deep runs in these big tournaments. Yeah, I think the moment for me where it really clicked, where I realized just how good Jack Sock was, was watching him play at Houston, and he just had no clue how to move on clay. I've never played on clay myself. I don't know much about it either. Um, but you could tell just how uncomfortable he was. He wasn't moving well. He wasn't able to get to a lot of shots. Still won the tournament. His forehand is so good. He can dictate so easily with his serve and his forehand that his lack of movement on a clay court doesn't matter. Now you put him on a hard court for these last four masters that he's reached the quarterfinals or better, as you mentioned. Um, his movement's not an issue, obviously, on the hard court. So you take someone that can dictate with their forehand and now give them great movement so that they have a chance to defend. He's already a great player 
um, with that on top, uh, he's very capable of just dominating uh, some of these guys. Obviously, you got to put a little bit of an asterisk mark next to this one. Milos Raonic pulls out, and aside from that, he kind of landed in a soft part of the draw. Um, So his his first real challenge is going to be Nadal in the quarterfinals. This is a match he's definitely capable of winning. I remember watching Nadal and Sock play each other on a practice court at Indian Wells, and they played a full practice set. And it was just so much fun to watch because both guys really just wind up and crack the forehand like a whip. And, uh, you know, Nadal obviously does it left-handed, but it's really fun to see the way they're kind of mirrors of each other. And, um, yeah, so now they're going to be playing each other in the quarterfinal. This is going to be a fun match to watch. Yeah, I I agree. I, I'm going to go uh, with Nadal here. I, I really buy into his uh, quotes following his exit to Fed at Indian Wells that he's going to be extremely focused, wants to play very well in Miami. He always wants to play well, but I think this one, uh, you know, he's he's been to some finals this year, hasn't uh, hasn't gotten a title yet. Uh, obviously, that will most likely change once we hit the clay court season, given how he's playing. Again, Barry Buss was in. Indian Wells, and I asked him about Rafa's form, and he he was very impressed with how Rafa was playing. Uh, Again, Fed was just way too good on that day. But, uh, again, I'm buying Rafa's Rafa's self-analysis that he's going to play well in Miami. I'm going to go with Nadal, actually, in straight sets here. Uh, This is a title that uh, Nadal has not won. I believe he's been to four finals, has not won Miami. But uh, I'm going to go with Rafa in straight sets in this one. Uh, Your pick on, on the match. Yeah, I picked Rafa as well when the draw came out. I, I really liked his chances to win this one and uh, had him get into the semifinals. And, yeah, Nadal is playing extremely well. He, he always plays well when he's healthy, and he does a lot of kind of talking himself down normally. So when he's talking himself up, that's actually something to to take note of that shows that he's really confident in the way he's playing right now. And, yeah, whenever he's healthy, he's dangerous. So I, I think he's, he has a good shot to get the better of Sock here. And I think him being a lefty, uh, that's always going to be the advantage against Sock because these two really do play a very similar style. But it's just going to be a little bit awkward for Sock not being used to playing against a lefty. Great points. And uh, you mentioned about Nadal being very healthy at this point, someone who is not. Uh, you mentioned his name just a few breaths ago. Milos Raonic out yet again. Jared, uh, disturbing pattern right now. It's almost uh, what uh, Kate Nishikori has been going through the last few years where, um, you know, it's really not a surprise if we see the trainer out for Nishikori or if he has a walkover or doesn't finish a match. And uh, Milos isn't even able to uh, to play against Gerald Donaldson. As you mentioned, Sock took advantage of that fact uh, with Milos Raonic out. But some uh, what, what's really, I think, uh, concerning with respect to Raonic is he, he said that he hasn't really felt physically well since Wimbledon. Um, obviously got to the final there. Um, I, I'll throw a little combination of and, into that, too, uh, in addition to him not feeling well physically. I think um, Andy Murray is in his head, and uh, he is uh, really disturbed at the fact that he has not been able to solve Murray, uh, even when he was healthy. I'll go back to last year's Australian Open when Milos was extremely determined to play well, and uh, unfortunately the match before, he should have closed Stan out in three, and that went five. That spilled over, and that was the start of the trouble, in my opinion, for Milos Raonic. Uh, Australian Open last year, yes, he did get to the Wimbledon final, but um, it's just something about these big guys that are not able to stay healthy consistently. Uh, You and I talked about Raonic. I had Raonic really as... uh, uh, when it's all said and done, my my over under for his his 
major titles will be 1.5, uh, either one and or two at Wimbledon. Uh, that's where he would win. But uh, got close last year. But my goodness, if you're not able to stay healthy, um, I, I, I'm not really sure what to make of Milos Raonic at this time. What uh, What do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, it's understandable that there's going to be a slump after having that disappointment in his first major final. Um, and then add on to that the, some of the physical issues. That's going to be tough for him to bounce back from, but I'm sure he will. It, it might take some time, uh, but eventually he's going to come back. I remember we talked last week about kind of the vacancy at the top of men's tennis, and there's an opportunity right now for some of these younger guys like Raonic and team in particular, two young guys in the top ten, to step up and even make a run for the number one ranking. Well, both team and Raonic made early exits here in Miami. That's just not the way to do it, and the more this keeps happening, the bigger the vacancy is going to get. And uh, that big vacancy is going to be filled in a big way by one of these younger players. And, uh, you know, if Raonic doesn't take advantage of his chance soon, he could get passed up and uh, completely skipped over. You know, he's such a talented player. you got to think he's going to win at least one major before it's all said and done. But if these injuries keep hampering him, because uh, right now his is his golden time. He's got to get healthy and, and find a way to start competing at that top level again. I completely agree. And, and you mentioned uh, another younger player who uh, whose opportunity, you know, it's still early on, but Dominic Team, um, interesting results against Borna Chorich, who, who I still really like, and I'm shocked that his ranking is where it is, that being Chorich, did have an impressive win, 6-1, 7-5, over Dominic team, then George crashes out in the next round. Obviously, he's had some health and injury issues as well. But um, in my opinion, Dominic team, I've really been impressed with the strides he's made on the hard courts. Uh, really, in the last couple of years, I still have him down for a couple Roland Garros titles in his career. Obviously, the clay court season is going to come into place. A lot of people talking and questioning out loud about his decision to schedule. Uh, play as many tournaments as he does but um, I want to first of all um, see what you think about George's result over team and then let's talk a little bit about team as we come into the clay court season well yeah I totally agree with you in that George is better than his ranking suggests as you mentioned he's had some injury issues and uh, he went on about a six-month stretch without a single tour level victory And part of that's a slump, but a lot of that was uh, physical issues. And so that's why his ranking's down where it is. Uh, A good way to turn around, though, get a three-set win over over Marcel Granoyers and then come out and beat the number six seed in straight sets. And I think he just ran out of gas in that third set against Adrian Manorino, ended up losing it in a tiebreaker. So, you know, an unfortunate way to see his run come to an end. Uh, but Manorino is one of those guys who makes his opponents work so hard, uh, gets a lot of balls and plays, extended rallies. And um, for a young Chorich, uh, who's already played five sets, I think he was just worn out at that point. Good point. I, li- I like that. And, um, yeah, Chorich last year I had a chance to catch uh, some of his play in Cincinnati, and uh, including saving match pointing. It's Nick Kyrgios. Then he took out Nadal in, in less than 70 minutes and unfortunately had to retire after playing one set against eventual champion Marin Cilic but um, still waiting on George obviously we've got a lot of time to go uh, there but um, yeah it'll be nice to see him play he's got a beautiful game uh, when it's on 
which again, if he needs to stay healthy in order for that to be clicking. But um, a couple other results I want to talk about, Jared from Miami, uh, Jared Donaldson. Um, again, been waiting for him to uh, to get it going. Uh, he plays kind of like a John Isner, in my opinion. He plays his best tennis in the United States, and here we are. A nice 6-4-6-4 win over Misha Zverev. He did get the benefit of Raonic uh, not being able to play, so he advanced to the next round where he just got steamrolled by, by Jack Sock. But let's go uh, talk about the good for Gerald Donaldson. 4-4 win over Misha Zverev. Yeah, really nice effort for the, the young American. I even had some friends who are not tennis fans kind of saying, hey, who's this Jared Donaldson guy? Um, is this a name I need to recognize? And I said, yes, absolutely. For him to come through as a qualifier, uh, beat Kyle Edmund, and beat Misha Zverev, I think that's great to see. A lot of times these young, talented Americans are getting wild cards into these events. Um, obviously, we talked about last week, Miami's a little different, how they give out their wild cards. And Jared Donaldson had to do it the hard way and it paid off. Um, obviously got a little bit lucky there with the walk over to Milos Raonic, um, but made a nice run at this tournament, and uh, I think a lot more people became familiar with Jared Donaldson. Good. Yeah, I, I, I liked what I've seen, uh, which is just a little bit, but, uh, again, very early on for him, some nice wins, as you mentioned, Edmund and Zverev. So, uh, and, again, he'll take the walk over to get some, some solid Masters 1,000 points uh for his ranking and um, someone who's, who's, I believe he's had the best masters 1000 of his career, Jared, uh, Donald young, I believe he recorded three wins in Miami. The one that stands out at me, a six, two, six, four win over Luca Pui. You're um, want to get your, what you think was, is suddenly working well for Donald young. And uh, second part of that question, how does Luca Pui lose this match uh, with that line score to Donald young? Yeah, it was a bit surprising. Obviously, Don Young, always very successful when he plays in the United States. Um, I remember the run he made a couple of years ago at the U.S. Open, very impressive. And then, actually, it was early in his career, he kind of had his big breakout moment at Miami where he beat um, Thomas Burdick, uh, a nice result for him there. So he, he does feel very comfortable when he comes to play at this event. Uh, but for him to beat Luca Pui was a big deal. Um Pui reached the final of Marseille, the semifinals in Dubai, and uh, even had a win at Indian Wells. He's been playing some good tennis this year, um, but he lost to Donald Young at Indian Wells, loses to him again in Miami. So, obviously, Donald Young has his number. This is, I think, just a matchup thing, really more than anything. And when you play these guys that you lost to the first time, either you you learn from it and do better the second time, or it only gets worse. And I think that's why you see the lopsided score um, Luca Pui just didn't take anything away from that loss and didn't try to learn from it and uh, just got plowed the second time around. Donald Young winning 6-2, 6-4. Yeah, what, what can we expect from Luca Pui uh, going forward? Uh, this is someone who's really meandered in and out of, uh, you know, some nice wins and then kind of disappears, goes away for a while, then then reappears with, uh, you know, as you mentioned, some nice results earlier this year, but uh, seems to be on the downside right now. Do you see him rebounding uh, with the clay court season and going back to Europe? Yeah, absolutely. He's at a career-high ranking of 15 right now, which is going to be exciting for him going into the clay season. Uh, one of the things that he has going for him is he's very good on both hard courts and clay courts. I think it's going to be a natural transition for him over to the clay. He's going to feel right at home at Monte Carlo. I remember the Frenchman did particularly well at that event last year. Um, so he's going to get some good crowd support there. 
and that's going to be a good springboard for the rest of his clay season. I imagine he'll play in Nice, and of course he'll he'll be at Roland Garros, uh, seated pretty high at the event. So he's got a chance to do some damage during the clay season, and maybe even make a run at the top ten. Uh, good. I, I I'm in, I'm very excited to see what will result in Luca Puy this clay court season and. Jared, uh, Marin Cilic, another early exit here. Uh, a lot of people scratching their heads, but I still maintain he plays his best tennis in the summertime, especially the North, North American hard courts. Uh, obviously, he has a U.S. Open title to his name. He won Cincinnati last year, Jared. He was playing exceptionally well. I asked him an oppressor uh, if, if that was the best he's ever played in a, in a set uh, that I saw him play on court number two, and he, he paused for a second, and he nodded his head. He said, yeah, I think this is the best I've ever played. I mean, he was ripping the ball, and I thought he was a big threat to win yet another U.S. Open. But, you know, he did get the win in Cincinnati, Jared. Uh, you know, the, really, we look at the results of the Cincinnati Titleist the last 10 years or so. Obviously, Federer has a bunch of them. Uh, Murray has won that. Even Rafael Nadal. This is a tournament, as you well know, Novak Djokovic hasn't won yet. Uh, Marin Cilic did get the win in Cincinnati. What, in your opinion, does not click well for Marin Cilic the early part of the year? I, I still go back to after he won the U.S. Open, obviously injured, wasn't even able to play Australia. That really set him back, but it just seems like Marin Cilic doesn't get it going until the second half of the season. Uh, you know, that could be a plus. Uh, other guys, you know, like Nadal, don't seem to be able to have much gas in the tank near the end of the season. But Marin Cilic just seems to sputter year in and year out the first half of the year. Yeah, it really is a bizarre one because, as you mentioned, he has such great success on the North American hard courts. Okay, well, Indian Wells in Miami, that's mm-hmm. part of that. So why hasn't he had success at the beginning part of the year? And, um, you know, some of these guys, they just feel a little bit more at home at certain tournaments. Um, they just go there and they have good memories and they can build on that. And it certainly seems like that's the case for Chilich, where um, when he comes that time of the year, July, August at the United States, he feels at home, he feels comfortable, he has good memories to draw on, and he plays the best tennis of his career. Um, it'd be nice to see him do that year-round. And it is important. Um, you mentioned it. you know, it's better to play well in one half than play well in zero halves um but really if, if you want to be one of the best players in tennis you have to be consistent getting good results every single week to get your ranking up he's won a grand slam um i think the next thing that you always shoot for after winning your first grand slam is the number one ranking and he's never really gotten close to that he's never really been in the conversation for the number one ranking and the reason is he's never put together a full season so that that's what's missing right now from Chilich is for him to put together one full season of playing well uh, beginning to end January to December. Um, hopefully he's going to do that at some point, but uh, yeah, that that's what he needs to do at this point. And it, it's confusing why it hasn't happened yet. That's good. Good analysis. I like that. Uh, really. Yes. We, we, that's something that we've not yet seen from Merritt Chilich, a, a solid season across the board and uh, really puzzling, in my opinion, as well. Again, as you mentioned, Indian Wells, California, and Miami, Florida are indeed North American hard courts. Uh, why does it work in uh, in the autumn time and not uh, not in the spring? But uh, we'll see if that ever gets underway. Another result I'd like to talk about, Jared, uh, Philip Kohlschreiber 
bagels Rafael Nadal and then uh, manages to win only five more games the rest of the way. Uh, shocking, uh, again, given the form that Nadal is in, but uh, we know what Cole Schreiber is all about. But um, I still maintain Cole Schreiber is like uh, Stan Valreka used to be. He could take anybody to a tiebreaker, might even win a set or two, threaten to win the match, as we saw at boatloads of match points against Murray a little while back. Mm. Didn't get the job done, just is not able to win the, the final point, the final game, the final set. But he's right there in with a chance. But uh, this is a puzzling result, really, on both ends. The fact that Philip Kohlschreiber bageled Rafael Nadal uh, and, again, really couldn't do much after that. And then Nadal, I, I guess we're not surprised for him to rebound. Uh, fuzzy math, funny math in tennis, obviously. It's not like uh, any other sport. If you're behind by a boatload, you're probably not going to win the game or match. Tennis, it's a little different. It's the set's over and 0-0 the next set going forward. Rafael Nadal, very well aware of that. Nice nice rebound for him, but um, Cole Schreiber, what, what is it that just does not click for this guy to get the job done? Yeah, well, he's he's a brilliant ball striker. He always has been. He played um, 34 games in the previous match against Taylor Fritz, had to beat him in a third-set tiebreaker. So I imagine fatigue was a bit of a factor. And, um, yeah, when when – your biggest strength is your ball striking. Um, being off by a little is being off by a lot. Um, so that definitely hurts him. And I think you look at a match like that, and that's where you can make the case for strategic tanking. You fall behind a break or two early on in the first set. You relax a little bit, wait for the set to be over, then regroup, and you hold your opponent to only five games the rest of the way. Uh, Nadal's a seasoned professional. That's not gamesmanship. That's That's not... Uh, any lack of sportsmanship in any way, that is part of the sport. You you, you are strategic in the course of a long tournament for when you're going to use your energy. And uh, if you need to lose the first set 6 nothing, well, you know, it, it's no different than losing the set 6-4. You lost the set either way. Um, it doesn't make a difference. So if you fall behind a couple breaks early, you just regroup and get ready for the next set. And I think Nadal, being a professional, is very good at doing that. And, uh, you know, for your opponent, it's kind of tough. You get through a set pretty easily, and then all of a sudden it's not so easy to win points. And you go through this moment as a player where you're kind of thinking, what in the world was I doing the first set that I I can't figure out how to do now? And really the only difference is your opponent's playing a lot better. And uh, Nadal did that brilliantly in this match, I think. A couple points on that. I agree. Well put. Um, the year that Joe Wilfred Songa just thrashed Nadal in the semifinals at the Australian Open, um, and obviously he lost in the final. But I saw them play uh, just a couple months later at Indian Wells, and again, Songa had the better of Nadal and kind of got cute, uh, almost cocky, if you will. Um, and obviously Nadal, being the ultimate pro, waited it out, found his way through that, and got the job done. You can't mess around at all against Rafael Nadal. But also, Jared, we've seen uh, really not only on the ATP but also the WTA Tour some interesting score lines where a, a player will win a match in three, but they're bageled in the middle set. So I agree, it's not gamesmanship. You're, you've got a strategy there. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't matter if you lose the set, you know, 9-7 in a, in a tiebreaker or love six, uh, you, you move on and go to the next one. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I still remember uh, one of those Roland Garros finals. Federer, uh, I believe he won the first set against Nadal 6-1, uh, didn't win the match. It was one of those situations where it was just a nightmare for Federer where several times uh, I remember the commentator saying, you know, Federer playing 
incredible tennis against Nadal here. Uh, really has played the best tennis out of the two sets, but he finds, looks at the scoreboard and it's level at a set apiece. What does he need to do? And obviously that's what it takes to get the job done against Rafael Nadal. And, you know, it's on course right now. We may very well have a Federer-Nadal final. We'll see a lot of work to do there. But um, let's move on to another, uh, really a preview here, Jared. Fabio Fognini, who really was almost dead in the water um, in, at Indian Wells, um, got the job done and, uh, you know, down, really getting leveled uh, and got the job done and moved on and beat Sanga and had himself a nice Indian Wells. Here he is playing Kane Nishikori. Nishikori, two love in the head-to-head. They've, the last, they've only played twice since uh, 2011, but um, I don't know. I, Fabio Fognini is just a wild card for me in this matchup, and I, these days I'm really not sure which Kane Nishikori is going to show up. Yeah, it's a really nice run for Fanini to get into the, the quarterfinals. Um, he, he obviously landed in a nice part of the draw along with upsets to Chilich and Puy, really opening the door for him, and he's the one that took advantage of it. So all credit to Fanini there. Um, but I really like Nishikori's chances of getting through this one. He tends to play really well uh, at Miami. He likes best two out of three tennis. He's always performed better at the Masters than he has at the Majors. Um, and I, I said last week I thought he would reach the final, and I actually ended up picking him in my draw to win the tournament. So I, I really like Nishikori to get through this one in a pretty straightforward manner. Obviously, Fanini ex- extremely talented. You never know which Fanini is going to show up. Um, but usually when he's outmatched, there's just not a lot of fight in him. And so if, if Nishikori gets ahead early, it could get pretty ugly in terms of the scoreline. Yeah, good point. And uh, we opened talking about Alexander Zverev uh, going to get the winner of Kyrgios Kofan. Kyrgios now a game away, Jared, from making that a reality. Um, again, they played not too long ago. Nick Kyrgios just seems to be feeling it right now. And unfortunately, uh, you know, he's got a nice unbeaten streak going. Let's not forget he did not take the court against Federer at Indian Wells in that uh, very anticipated quarterfinal. So uh, we may very well get a curios fetter match uh, after the next round is over. But uh, before we get to that, let's let's go ahead and take a look at uh, what we can expect this time from Nick Kyrgios, Alexander Zverev. And good Lord, I mean, the way Nick Kyrgios is playing, um, you know, if he's on, we, we saw what Djokovic was not able to do against his serve. Um, the whole ATP field is, is feeling that right now. How How far can Kyrgios go here? Yeah, well, he just served out the victory against GoFan, won that 7-6-6-3. So he's coming in on a roll. He serves extremely well. Um, both Zverev and Kyrgios are very good offensively, and they're very good at right away at the start of a point on their serve, putting their opponent on the defensive. And I think Zverev's a little bit better player defensively. I think he's going to learn from uh, the first time they met each other. So I like Zverev to get through this one. Um, he's got a little bit more of a, a complete game and, uh, you know, I think he's going to be the one more likely to, to get a break at some point in the match. And obviously that's a tough thing to do against Kyrgios. We've seen Novak Djokovic um, kind of have him fits on the court because he can't figure out how to break Nick Kyrgios. It's such a tough serve to break. Um, you know, obviously in terms of miles per hour, you can't compare Kyrgios to an, an Isner or, or a Karlovic or Raonic. Um, but he's still very effective with his serve. He finds lots of different angles and he backs it up very well. He's got a great backhand and a great forehand. So he brings the complete package in a serving game, 
which makes breaking him so tough. Um, but on the flip side, his return numbers just, just aren't great. And I think Zverev's going to have a better chance at getting a break than Kyrgios will um, because of that. So I like Zverev to win this one. I'm going to go the other way with Kyrgios, just uh, riding the, the wave, if you will. And uh, uh, sure, I, I liked what you said about Zverev and his chances. I, I want to ask you a question about Kyrgios. Because you look at him and sometimes his antics, people say sometimes he doesn't care. Well, he's caring quite a bit right now. But what really jumps out at me in looking at stat sheets of Nick Kyrgios' matches are the the, the big discrepancy and big uh, comparison and, and the number of aces compared to the number of double faults. And, you know, you – I've seen, I mean, I've seen Kyrgios hit, you know, 140, 145 second serves, sometimes for aces, sometimes unplayable. But, you know, he goes big, very big on second serves, and yet he just does not have so many double faults. I, this, You know, you look at his makeup and his attitude on court, uh, almost carefree, and you wonder how in the world does Nick Kyrgios not have boatloads of double faults with the type of game he has? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I'm going to say part of it is Yannick's racket that he uses. I think it's one of the best rackets uh, in tennis right now, and um, I think that helps him have a lot of control on his serve. Um, I, I kind of want to say, you know, just a big part of it is his height, but then you look at someone like Yerzy Yanovitz, who typically is one of the leaders in the ATP in double, double faults. He's just as tall as Kyrgios. So, you know, height's not the only factor when it comes into a serve. There's a lot that has to do with, uh, technique and obviously Kyrgios is a very simple, repeatable motion on the serve and it's reliable. And so he he can hit the ball hard with some confidence, knowing that he's going to be able to hit his spots. Um, I really like the motion he has on his serve. It's it's so uh, like I said, simple and reliable, and, and that's what you want on a second serve, particularly. Yeah, good point. Uh, and quarterfinals are all set in Miami, Jared and. Uh, we're going to talk a little Davis Cup now, but before we do that, anything else that uh, jumped out at you at, in Miami, either a, a player or two in their results or uh, any matchups? Well, yeah, you said last last week that you thought uh, we'd have an adult Federer final, and I think um, that's looking more and more like a possibility. Obviously, my final is ruined between Nishikori and team, with team being out of it, um, but I think fans would be very excited to see a, a a third meeting between Nadal and Federer at this point in the year. This is considered by many to be the greatest rivalry in tennis. My, my favorite rivalry is Djokovic-Nadal, um, but Federer and Nadal just haven't played each other as often as you might think they would have. To see them play each other three times in three months, uh, I think tennis fans would be very excited about that and be a great thing to see. Sure, and let's just throw a hypothetical out there uh, going against your pick. Uh, let's suppose we do have... Uh, a Nick Kyrgios, Roger Federer match. Uh, obviously, this didn't happen uh, as was hoped at Indian Wells. In this case, it would be a semifinal here in Miami. Uh, if we get this matchup, uh, whom do you like in that one? Well, I say this a lot. I think Roger Federer has the best defensive return in all of tennis right now. Um, he has ever since he started his career, really. Um, him and Monfils are the, are the two top guys in, in that category for me. And uh, I think that makes him a really good matchup against these big servers. He always does well against uh, Kyrgios, Raonic, and uh, and those guys. Um, so, yeah, Kyrgios got the better of him once, but I think uh, Federer gets him this time around. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I, I I really do like uh, 
the role that Kyrgios is on, but uh, Fed seems to be, uh, not seems to be, he is on a, on a bigger and better one at this point. So let, let's hope, but well, uh, I'd go with the Federer-Zverev match as well. I mean, uh, no matter who comes out of that one, it's going to be very intriguing, as would uh, Burdich against one of these guys. With uh, If you were able to get a win against Fed, you never know what that might be able to do for him. So um, very good. And Jared, um, word out uh, officially, Rafael Nadal, not playing Davis Cup for Spain as they travel to Serbia. Uh, he had made mention of this at Indian Wells, that uh, the clay court season is is just too important. He said he wasn't going to play. And, um, again, I don't understand why more people didn't really believe him and uh, take him at his word, but uh, everybody seemed to pile on today saying uh, Nadal is not, not playing uh, Davis Cup for Spain when, when, in essence, he said a week ago um, – so we will not have a Rafael Nadal-Novak Djokovic matchup in Serbia this time around. I'm not surprised. You're not surprised. I, I think a lot of people are surprised slash disappointed. But um, looking at it from what Nadal is looking to do and what he wants to accomplish on clay, I'm I, I'm good with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, Nadal made the right decision there. And uh, neither of us really expected him to be at this event. And it, it's going to be interesting now. You know, you got Djokovic playing for Serbia, but it's still not a slam dunk. Obviously, the depth for Spain is there. Serbia's always struggled in the doubles category. They have Nenad Zimenic, who is such a talented doubles player, but they can't find the right partner for him. Uh, Djokovic and Zimenic has always been kind of a bad partnership, Um, but there really isn't anyone else that can play that double slot with Zimenic. So that's a real weak spot for Serbia going into this matchup, and that puts a lot of pressure on both Djokovic and Troitsky uh, between the two of them, they got to win three matches. So that's what Serbia needs to get through in this one. I'm looking at the the teams here, and I'm I'm a little surprised uh, we don't see Verdasco on on Spain's roster. They have Carreno Busta, Ramos, Vinolas, Granollier, and Mark Lopez. So um, I uh, again, we talked about the depths of Spain, uh, but this is a this is a little lighter Spanish lineup than I would have anticipated. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, it's still, you know, Ramos is 24 in the world and Carreño Busta is is 19, so that's still a solid lineup. And uh, both those guys ranked higher than Troitsky, so Troitsky's going to have to come in here and upset one of those two, and uh, that's going to be a tough thing for him to do. So, yeah, a lot of pressure on Troitsky this, in, in this match. Um, but, yeah, uh, he, he's really the wild card in this tie for me. Yeah, I want to talk about Troitsky. Obviously, a long way back was uh, really played a ton of tennis to get his ranking back after he was on the shelf and, um, you know, still a, a bad taste in Serbia's mouth when he wasn't able to play uh, in that Davis Cup final. But um, uh, your thoughts on Viktor Troitsky? I mean, uh, since he's come back, obviously made, made big strides, but um, I think he's better than 38 in the world. Uh, anything not really going well in his game plan at this point in time? Yeah, I mean, he's getting up there in age a little bit at this point, and he's kind of struggled at certain events early in the year, uh, really all throughout his career. He's kind of like Chilich. He has his uh, strength towards the end of the year, but he always performs well at home in Serbia and uh, on the hard courts. He's he's got a – I really like his service motion, the way he lunges forward. Few players have that. It's usually more of a horizontal step into the serve. His is uh, perpendicular to the net. And so I think that gives him a lot of momentum moving into the court on his serve. 
gives them a high percentage on that and makes it really effective, particularly on an indoor hard court. Um, and that's what they'll be playing on in this tie. So that, that gives him a little bit of a boost. Yep, good call. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk more about Davis Cup, obviously, next week. But Andy Murray also not playing, and some of the French uh, Twitter accounts really poked fun at him. Uh, some of the headlines, Murray forfeits, uh, if you will, and uh, not going to play uh, in that tie against France. But I uh, want to talk briefly, Jared, about uh, the United States going to Australia for that Davis Cup tie. Obviously, the Bryans are not on the squad any longer for Davis Cup. U.S. selecting to go with Sock, Isner, Query, Johnson. I don't think uh, anybody doubts that lineup, the Australian lineup. Curios, Jordan Thompson, who uh, we have our eyes on right now, Sam Groff and John Pierce, and uh, obviously a couple big names on Australia that are not on that roster, Bernie Tomic on the sideline. And are we ever going to see Thanasi Kalkinakis again? Uh, that, that's uh, interesting. I know he made a brief appearance at the Olympics, but that's about the only time we've seen him in quite some time. But uh, U.S. having to go all the way down to Australia in um, in April, and uh, let's just preview the U.S. Aussie Davis Cup time uh, tie at this time. Yeah, this is going to be a really exciting matchup. A lot of talent on both teams. Um, guys that can hit the ball really hard. We've talked already about Sock and Kyrgios. Um, look at the serves of Isner, Query, and Growth. Um, these guys just can smack the ball and uh, really makes them a lot of fun to watch. I'm curious to see what exactly the doubles lineup will be for the United States. I'm kind of thinking it's going to be Sock Johnson. Obviously, they've had some success together, so that'll be a fun one to see. Um, but if I can, just go back really quick to – the other matchup that you had just mentioned, France and Great Britain, really excited to see the doubles matchup in that one. Obviously, uh, for the French team, we have Mahou and Herbert, uh, both guys very talented together in doubles. Mahou, number one in the world, and Herbert coming in at number six, and most of that's those two playing together. And then Great Britain just has such great depth in doubles, which is kind of the opposite in singles, where they have Murray dominating in singles. Um, they just have a breadth of talent in doubles. And so it looks like Inglot and Jamie Murray, Andy's brother, will be the doubles team there. I think that's going to be a highly entertaining doubles match. And uh, that's really always been the nice thing about Davis Cup is it puts d- doubles front and center, and uh, it's a lot of fun to watch. Yep, Nicholas Mahou, 35 years old, Jared, number one in doubles. And obviously we've seen guys getting up there in their age with, with very successful uh, doubles uh uh, really results uh, again the, the list goes on but uh, yeah nice to see Nicholas Mahou achieving that ranking at this point in time and obviously a uh, British squad without Andy Murray your thoughts on uh, how this one might be uh, France in my opinion looking too good too strong with obviously uh, they can roll anybody out obviously Sanga Monfils are not there uh, okay we'll just plug in someone like Agil Simone yeah, exactly. you got Simone Pui, both very talented. I mean, you could even put Mahu on the singles court. He just reached the fourth round at Indian Wells. Um, so they, they have a good problem in that they have too many to choose from. Um, <laughs> whereas for Great Britain, when with Murray out, the options are pretty obvious. Kyle Edmund, obviously talented, as is Daniel Evans. We've seen them both perform really well. Um, so curious to see what those guys can do but i agree with you france the clear favorite to to get through in this one sure and uh, 
Jared, next time we talk, obviously we'll we'll be discussing the results uh, of the back end of the Miami tournament and and coming up with a um, a Davis Cup preview as well in more detail than what we d- discussed and elaborated on tonight. But uh, before we wrap up, anything else that you'd like to add uh, that's been going on in the world of the ATP? Yeah, well, here comes the the end of uh, March Madness. But meanwhile, going on. Uh, at the Challenger Tour level, um, Dennis Shapovalov playing extremely well. Uh, mm-hmm. We talked a little bit on the show at different times about the incident he had in Davis Cup where he struck the umpire, and uh, we were kind of curious to see how he would bounce back from that. And, and uh, the answer clearly has been very successfully. He's doing extremely well on the Challenger Tour. I think he ended up losing in the final to um, Bosic, but still a nice run for him to get – to another challenger final. Shapovalov playing some great tennis right now, and it, it's it's good to see. Yeah, good point. A very nice rebound for him, uh, and we will keep all eyes on Denis Shapovalov, even though that uh, fifth uh, live rubber uh, did not uh, obviously ended poorly for him in Canada, but uh, still at his age to play one of those matches um, really is, is exciting. And We've seen Davis Cup really do wonders for for guys in their careers, and in some cases, it's a it's a real dagger if it doesn't work out well. And credit to him for for rebounding the way that he did. And uh, any last words before we call it a night, Jared? Yeah, absolutely. Always uh, a pleasure talking tennis with you, Pete. And looking forward to do it again next week. And uh, for those who follow us regularly, you can also always check us out on iTunes. Absolutely. And uh, on behalf of Jared Pine, this is Pete Zebron saying good night. We'll catch you next week on Replay the Point. Good night. Mm-hmm.